to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts who guide the global pork industry. Popular Pig is brought to you by Swine Tech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com. Popular Pig is also made possible by Johnsonville Foods, High Pork Genetics, Minitube, Brenneman Pork, Fibro Animal Health, Swine Robotics, Innovative Heating, and PigEquipment.com. Brought to you by American Resources. For the Popular Pig Podcast, my name is Matthew Rota, your host for today's episode. Today we're joined by Gene Nome and Bill Even talk about everything that the pork industry is doing to further its ability to provide safe and healthy protein for people all over the world. And I'm excited to talk about this with you guys. The first question I want to ask today to really lead things off is, why is the pork board of old dead? Matthew, I'll take that. This is Gene. Um, I think you're referring to the statement that I've used that the coupon-toting, stodgy, committee-driven pork board of old is dead. and um, there's some several pieces in that that I'm really trying to convey. First off, I want to just in deference to when we started this uh, mandatory checkoff and effort to promote pork, do research and educate consumers and others about the business of pork production. We had a focus on making sure that we used producer dollars to promote our product. And there was really good work done in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, early 2000s that really brought attention. You know, Pork the Other White Meat was a great example of using information and using dollars to to uh, bring more attention to pork. And it's one of the most recognized brands in 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 uh, in the world, actually. Ranks right up there with a number of other ones like um, American Family Insurance and and that type of thing. But what I'm trying to convey there is we really have to have a transition. And the days of using coupons to create awareness about pork really has to move with the with the information that we have available available to us today to really change the needle and change the uh um the demand for pork. And what we want to do is is create really good information for retailers and downstream partners to use to uh change the volume of pork and change the perception of pork. And then stodgy committee driven, in order to make sure that we're relevant to the industry, Matthew, we've got to be really on our toes. And we built through Bill's leadership and and others in 2019 pivoted the National Pork Board organization from a five-year strategic plan that locked us in for a long period of time to an annual prioritization process. And what we do is we have in the room with us our other national organizations, American Association of Swine Veterinarians. We have National Pork Producers Council. We have the North American Meat Institute that we engage in this annual process to ensure that we're dealing with stuff that's relevant to today and we're nimble and on our toes so that we're dealing with things as they come up with having the long view of what we have to do for the industry altogether. And so my statement isn't meant to be harsh about something was wrong in the past. It's really to talk about how we're making ourselves more relevant for the present and the future. 
So this pivot has been refreshing, to say the least, I think, to a lot of individuals as they're looking at what the pork board is doing to best represent the industry and, and move forward. Bill, it sounds like you've been doing a great job from what I can hear in regards to that. Can you talk about this pivot, this belief system that we've all had and carried for so long, but maybe poorly communicated and how that's changing? Well, thanks, Matthew. And as Gene mentioned, I've been here the past now six years working as your CEO at the Pork Board. And like Gene, I've come from a family farm background. As a matter of fact, my brother and my son and I are in partnership with our farm in South Dakota. So I'm a farm kid uh, at, at heart. And as I came to work for the National Pork Board in the summer of 2016, I went out on the road for six months and talked to farmers, talked to packers, talked to food service restaurants, talked to retail grocery stores, talked to others in the industry and said, how are we doing? You know, or do you feel comfortable about what we're doing? What, what should we be doing different? And I think the most important question, Matthew, is I asked, are we relevant today? And the answer I got back in, in generalities was this hey, we really like you and kind of like what you're doing, but you really need to catch up with the times. Hmm. And as Gene had mentioned, he said, we had to reinvent from the ground up. And I got to give credit to, we got a 15-member producer board. And I took this information to them and said, look, folks, we got to look in the mirror. There's a generational change happening out here. And we have got to be moving at the same pace that our industry is, or we're not doing credit to them with their checkoff dollars. So with the board's direction, we sat down and overhauled things and we came up with a pretty simple plan. And it was really this. What's the opposite of fake? And it's real. And so we came up with this approach of real pork and three simple belief systems that fit underneath that. Now, real pork is real simple. Because in a world that's filled with substitutes and alternatives and things that are masquerading, trying to be something else, we are real farmers on real farms, raising real pigs, producing real pork. And that can be real nutritious, real sustainable. You get the idea. But the people that question what we're doing out here in production agriculture and on our, on our farms and the consumers that got legitimate questions about how their food is being raised, really boils down to three things. Number one, is pork healthy and nutrition? Should I be eating it? Number two, boy, I hear a lot about sustainability nowadays. How is raising corn and soybeans and spread manure and raising hogs, is that sustainable or what's this doing to the environment? And then the third bullet, the third point is, well, tell me a bit more about how the people are being treated as well as the animals inside of our food system. And that really came to light, I think, during the pandemic when suddenly grocery store shelves were empty. Shocking. First time in America since probably, you know, the 1930s. And people started asking questions and started to be really concerned about how the food was being raised and, and more importantly, getting to the grocery store, getting to their plate. And so, Matthew, that's really kind of the guts of what our board decided to do, swipe the slate clean, and let's get in here and talk about real pork and these freedom to operate issues. And as Gene had mentioned, we, we don't do the couponing uh, anymore. Gotcha. So as we kind of talk today and dig into this a bit, I really want to focus on we care 
that sustainability platform. I want to talk a little bit about alternative proteins because I got a story that, I, that I'd like to share. And then I'd like to hop into Hy-Vee and retailers and things that, you, that have been going on there. So to start out with WeCare and that sustainability platform, I think what I'd like to do is just kind of have you talk about what what that looks like and how you see that progressing or evolving over time. I'd, I'd like to hop in here and take part of that, Bill, and then have you add to it. Um, in the last couple of months, you interviewed um, Dr. Brett Kaysen, Matthew. Mm-hmm. And uh, he talked extensively about sustainability and, and, and that sort of thing. He and I had a conversation here just a couple of nights ago, and he had been speaking to a group recently. And another guest that you had had recently was Jimmy Tosh from Tennessee. And if you've read The National Hog Farmer in an article that Jennifer Scheich just re- recently put in there, this struck me when Brett said in front of that group, he said, anybody read the article about Jimmy Tosh and the farm that he has? where through Hope Ministries, um, he is actually hiring people that are looking for a second chance at life. And hands went up. And he looked at him and he said, that's We Care. Mm -hmm. That's sustainability. Because We Care is a framework, as as you mentioned, uh, for our producers to start thinking about how they tell the story of sustainability that all these larger organizations have people staffed to do. So it's something about community. That's the point about Jimmy Tosh and that article. It's something about environment. That's what Bill talked about. That manure and corn and soybeans can actually be good for the environment. It's something about how we treat our people and how we, we do the, uh, the sort of things that, that enhance their lives. There's, it's something about how we treat our animals, animal welfare programs, and making sure that we understand how the animal interacts with the environment and not just make rules like certain states on each end of the coast of the United States have done recently with Rule 3 in Massachusetts and Prop 12 in California. But it's really about measuring and helping explain what we're doing with the animal and how the way we manage animals are um, um, good for the animal themselves. And so there are six ethical principles in our We Care framework, and it helps farmers go when you walk into their shed and you look up and you talk about sustainability and man, they go, Oh, okay. Yeah. I hear about that stuff. But you look up and on and, and the roof and or in the ceiling and you see led lights and you go, wow, you spent a little money on those. Yeah. They're a little bit extra money, but they operate uh, on less electricity and they last longer. And we look at them and go, do you know that's what the big box stores are talking about is sustainable? And they go, really? Well, I do that sort of thing all the time. Farming's about doing more with less, producing more with less, and we're giving that framework there. So I appreciate you calling out the We Care uh, framework and, and giving us an example that we can tack on with both Jimmy Tosh and Dr. Kaysen and your recent ones. So, so Bill, I guess building on that, when it comes to the We Care framework of those six principles, is there one that you think is most misunderstood or the one that, that we really uh, – really need to, to focus on the most, or are they all pretty equal in themselves? Well, thanks, Matthew. Again, this is Bill. Um, you put your finger on something that I think most of society and, and, frankly, brands need to get their head around, and that is you can't put one thing in front of another. Uh, the six ethical principles that Gene's talking about with We Care, it's about safe food supply. It's about animal well-being. It's protecting public health. It's the environment, 
is taking care of our people and being good members in our communities. Well, at the end of the day, if you pick one thing that you want to focus on to the detriment of everything else, all the other things are going to go out of spec. So in other words, if you wanted to only focus on energy use, you were going to neglect your role in the community, maybe how you're taking care of the workforce or how you're taking care of the animals. And so I think it's a myth, quite bluntly, for anybody in a sustainability position to be thinking about things less than a systems approach that's really holistic and that's looking at optimizing all these variables. Because if you want to do something that increases the footprint of a barn, for example, you are going to increase energy use, increase land use, increase water use, and you probably are going to have um, a, a worse uh, carbon footprint. So these things are all, you know, they're, they're all interchangeable and all interlinked as part of you know, the, the living organism system that we are in raising food. And so I would encourage your listeners to really hopefully understand that the We Care Ethical Principles were, were drafted by producers 14 years ago, and they were way ahead of their time. They understood there's this universe of things that if we don't do all of these really well, we're, we're not going to succeed in, in business. And I'll give you an example, Matthew. Um, just yesterday, I was in a meeting with the Vice President of Sustainability for a major U.S. company. And this person had just started this job. And they've been going around for the past two months talking to the poultry industry and the beef industry and the seafood industry and the pork industry and other parts of the supply chain. And when we told them about our We Care Ethical Principles and we told them about our sustainability work and our on-farm pilots and data, we told them about uh, how we've got manure management plans and how we've got poor quality assurance and, and that educates producers and safety and we've got systems audits they were completely blown away. And they said, I've been all over learning this space and talking to all these other protein sources in the supply chain. And it appears to me that the pork industry is way far ahead of everybody in understanding the fact that we're good stewards and we're committed to continuous improvement. And I think that's the big story behind We Care is that this is what we believe in and we're going to strive every day to do it better. Bill, so you hit on this, you hit on a communities and and uh, and family component of that. And I was actually in a conversation with some students I was working with at the University of Iowa, and the topic came up of, you know, I hear all of these stats, or I see all these stats that suggest that there's so many family farms, but I don't really ever see that. And I explained how the relationship between a family farm and a, a corporate entity or a packer to help utilize a whole hog globally uh, ship that and. And make the most of every animal to be mo more sustainable than ever before is, is important. But it was really interesting to them because they were, I had no idea that the relationship between a Tyson and a family farm was helping us become more sustainable or was helping that family uh, operate a successful business. Right now, the consumer sees so much of, of Tyson, of Smithfield, of JBS, and there's nothing wrong with that because they're doing a great thing. But they see so little of the families that are involved in helping get that protein to market. How do we highlight better the family involvement because there is such a large family involvement, as well as the family involvement uh, of how they impact their communities? You know, I, um, it's, it's really important. We just got to keep, keep, keep talking about that. But here's, here's, I think, where we get people don't know what people don't care what you know until they know that you care. 
I think that's the premise, Matthew. So what we've done in pork, in uh, National Pork Board, and I'm going to ask Bill to kind of follow up on this a little bit, he described the We Care Ethical Principles. He started out by talking about real pork, real pork not being a brand but a campaign, and it's a trust and image approach, and it's a long-term strategy. What you're talking about, getting people to understand there's more um, – more family involvement than what they thought it's we've got to have you have a relationship with those students and as a result they go you know i trust what that person says that's the real critical part we can say it all we want but what we have to do is have a strategy where it creates a trust and image of what we're actually doing and that we're telling the story not just reacting to other stories um, in a previous conversation, Matthew, you and I had talked about this National Geographic article where they're saying, you know, Prop 12 and all that and what's wrong with this. Well, if all we do is a point counterpoint with people like that, it's whoever they trust is who they're going to going to um, uh, learn from. They're going to open up to and say, oh, I get it. So trust and image is really important to our to our um, uh, industry and trust and image is not earned. Trust in a good image and the freedom to operate responsibly is not earned by a tactic. It's not earned by just going out and punching alternative proteins in the nose and say, you're bad. It's not earned by just going and, and um, you don't get it and telling people that they just don't understand or not interested. It's earned by creating a story of facts. It's not just a claim that we'll be carbon neutral by 2040. It's a, a factual process that we've got a framework now for individual farmers in North Central Iowa to go out and talk to their community about what they do in those six ethical principles. Then it's our ability to take and aggregate those for the Iowa Pork Producers Association to use it to tell the Iowa story. And then it's frameworked as well in the same way so that National Pork Board, we can aggregate that and talk about a national story. And if we have consistency, we will start to address that point I made, that people don't care what you know until they know that you care. And that consistency, I think, then they'll go, well, tell me about this family involvement. And we get to the answer to your question. And we get to the result that you're looking for when you're talking with people. But trust and image is really important. Now, lay that out. And then you start talking about all the things that Bill mentioned with real pork. And then you've got an opportunity to grow demand because they trust it. One of the reasons we don't have the standing we do is because we haven't worked on that trust and image very well. Mm -hmm. A strategy of developing trust and, 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 and I use these words, trust and image a lot, I know. But it's really important that it's not a tactic. It's not something we do tomorrow. It's something we do over a long period of time, Matthew. Then I think we get to the points that you want that you talked about. Bill, you know, I think trying to uh, relate back to this stodgy committee-driven coupon totem, one of the things I, I thought about as you were talking is we ought to share the comparison of creating a coupon um, or a, uh, a way to promote just short-term through sale um, and, and influencing how people start to buy and how that's a short-term thing, fill the freezer approach versus what we did recently with the Midwest grocer 
and talking about ground pork. I think those two stories, if you could share a couple of stories about or a couple of points about those two two contrasts, I think it'd be important for for Matthew's audience too. Thanks, Gene. Um, yeah, this is Bill again. So what Gene's referring to is the, the pork board of today has hired a bunch of really smart people from the business community, folks that understand uh, how to meet a you know a profit and loss statement and understand uh, a profit objective, right? The the lower right hand corner of the spreadsheet and are we making money in the business or not? And so these folks that are now working at the pork board sat down and said, we're going to take a business-to-business approach and go talk to retailers around the opportunity with ground pork. So we're a data-driven organization. We took producer dollars, looked at the data, and during the pandemic, there was a huge spike in ground pork purchases. And frankly, probably what drove some of it was, well, the folks were running to the grocery store, sweeping the shelves. They bought the hamburger that was there. And then they bought the ground pork and they never tried it before. They took it home and tried it and they loved it. And so sales went up and they stayed up. We saw an opportunity we've been waiting for for years. And we put together the business model and went into uh, the Hy-Vee grocery store chain uh, based here in Iowa and said, we can show you a better way to structure your meat case if you put ground pork in and give the consumer some choice. And in, in the same time, Take your alternative proteins and put them probably where the consumer expects them to be, which is next to maybe ground chicken or frankly, maybe in the freezer so that you don't have the, you know, don't have it going out of out of date and having discarded. So Hy-Vee said, hmm, this is interesting. You showed me the numbers. Um, let's try it. So last summer, fall, and winter, we took 35 Hy-Vee stores and reset them with a new model and provided ground pork with a number of different sizes and shapes and forms. And guess what? Those sales spiked 19%. And so Hy-Vee saw such an advantage in this that they made the decision that all 300 plus of their stores are going to be reset now with going from two options of ground pork to 11. Oh, wow. They see the ability to make money by selling pork and it's taking a product that we've, you know, normally would think about in sausage or breakfast sausage. But at the end of the day, that is the pork board of today. So instead of going out and writing them a check to say subsidize the giveaway of pork, we took a tiny amount of money with the business case and said, let me show you how you can sell more of this fine product, make some money doing it, and keep the consumer happy. That's what Gene's talking about. The industry today expects different. The pork board of today is delivering something in much different. That is awesome. So how do you how do you get eleven different forms of, of ground pork? I've eaten ground pork my whole <laughs> life, and I can't even think of eleven different ways to do that. <laughs> A lot of it's just in packaging, right? The different ways you want to display it, different uh, fat lean ratios, and gotcha. the company that supplies Seasoning. the product. Right, his and this was all unseasoned, actually. Gene, this well, okay. didn't Very even good. get into the season market. But the company that's supplying a lot of this is Hormel out of Austin, Minnesota. And it's like, holy cow, um, we're gonna have to figure out how we're gonna produce more product. These are good problems to have, they're problems of growth. That's and awesome. That's checkoff's been designed to do and help producers, and we're, we're really proud of that. Yep, Matthew, how many times have you seen 90, 10, and 80, 20 ground pork? Never all the time. Of me time. Yeah. And 
And that's the offerings that we're talking about. And when people make food choices, um, I learned a new word from Kirsten Hafer, one of our staff members that came from the business community, Bill talked about. I learned a new word called grind set. Grind set means you walk up and you've got whole muscle meats over here. Pork is kind of vertical. Just imagine kind of a vertical um, uh, cooling shelf, set of shelves in a, in a store. You got, gr- you got whole muscle pork, you got whole muscle beef, you've got the poultry over here, and then you've got a grind set. And that grind set can have pork offerings, poultry offerings, beef offerings. And when people go to that grind set, they go, oh, what am I going to make with, or how am I going to make tacos? How am I going to make chili? And they see pork as being one of those options, not just burger being the option. Mm-hmm. And that's the reset that he's talking about. A planogram, I think, is the word, right, Bill? It is. <laughs> and uh, so look that one up, folks, in your, in your listening um, uh, audience there. You know, and so you think about this coupon toting that I said is dead. Now you think about the stodgy committee driven. And I'm going to come back to one point that, that um, I just remember a story of August of 18. Do you know what happened significantly for the swine industry in the world in August of 18, Matthew? No, I can't recall. Swine fever in China. Hmm. And Bill went to our, our staff and said, man, we got to find out something about this. And at that time, we had a committee cycle. Every year, we had a unified meeting and somewhere where all the committees got together in one spot, and we kind of laid out the priorities for the next year and thought about the spending and where's our request for proposals, our RFP is going to be. And um, uh, our response of our staff was, well, um, it's August, and we've got pretty much our money spent right now, but we'll think about it in February. And Bill said, that is not relevant to what the industry needs. And that was the beginning of a path, that and a couple other events in 2019 that said, let's change the way we work. So today, I'm on a, uh, I'm on a task force. We've got eight task forces in, in uh, the pork board right now operating. One of them that I'm on talks about the cycle of nutrients. We have a lot of assumptions in these life cycle analysis, LCAs they're called, and, and those, those um, assume that we uh, – you know, put a set of nutrients in, we manage them, we have mortality, we have pork that comes out, and manure that comes out, that goes into the soil. That soil then produces the crop, which goes back into the pigs. So it's a circle, if you imagine. But there's inefficiencies in each one of those steps, right, Matthew? Just yeah. like when you're planning where you're planning people's work day, there's inefficiencies in the handoffs, and your product is really trying to bring some more organization to that, but also some level of measurement of where the inefficiencies are. We're trying to do that same thing. I've got about six months in this task force with a very very defined outcome. We're going to have uh, a, a scope that we're going to now then, I shouldn't say now then, then going to uh, release for a request for proposal so that people can help us understand each one of those. So when we use this ingredient, we get, 53% of the nitrogen out, and the rest of it goes into manure or the air. You use this ingredient, you get 80% of the nitrogen out in the form of amino acids, of course. And so what's the difference of those, and how can we help farmers make better choices so that this real sustainable build um, talked about is not just a claim, like I mentioned earlier, 
carbon neutral by 2040, but it's actually a science-based decision that they're making. And what we can do then, Matthew, is develop a business case for them to make these kinds of choices, where the business case is really about what matters, that lower right-hand corner that Bill talked about, right, Bill? Yeah. On the Excel spreadsheet. Like, this is how it comes to your bottom line, but also this is how framework, we care, we can talk about it with, with those folks that have an interest in listening to us. Yeah, I was thinking when we were talking about all the different types of meat, I think we need a pork burger helper or something, you know, something where it's not just the hamburger as that's <laughs> what we're talking about. We'll write that down. <laughs> so I, I kind of want to talk, I love that you talk about sticking the alternative meats in the freezer somewhere else. Um, there's actually, I, I'm taking a strategic management course right now. And one of the things we had to do, and it's that Johns Hopkins over in, in Baltimore, Maryland, and they had us focus on Beyond Meat, and we were supposed to write an excerpt about why they were a a great disruptor for the future. <laughs> and that was just very interesting having to, to do it in that way. And one of the things I couldn't help but think was when I was reading through things, a lot of the students were saying, well, they're a healthier and more sustainable option. And I couldn't help but think to myself more differently in this moment than I have over the past few years and thought, you know, with this whole renaissance of sustainability, as, as I would call it in this moment, where we're really figuring out as animal protein producers to communicate our sustainable practices better than ever before, is the time ticking for these alternative proteins that are marketing themselves as super sustainable? Because it's not going to be long here before pork, poultry, and even maybe beef figures out a way to get to carbon neutral, if not carbon negative, where that whole marketing ploy of we're more sustainable, we're better for the planet, isn't just going to be poor marketing. It's going to be false. Uh, I mean, is the is the route that we're taking as an industry by focusing on we care really in a roundabout way, setting us up for success long term in protecting the market share that is owned by real pork as opposed to fake pork? Well, this is Bill. I'll I'll hop on that one, Matthew. I think it would surprise most of your listeners to know that the U.S. pork industry only contributes about less than one-half of 1% 1 of greenhouse gas emissions in the United States. We've got data from the Pork Board-sponsored on-farm sustainability reports, which every one of your listeners can sign up and the Pork Board will pay for, pay for this on your farm. We've got, we've got people that are already carbon negative. So the carbon neutral or carbon negative pig already exists. And so we talk a lot about carbon sequestration and carbon training and carbon markets through the lens of, you know, soil and planting crops and pastures and cover crops. The reality is the pork industry is very close to having the carbon neutral pig and moving into carbon neutrality. And so I think your point is well taken, Matthew, that at the end of the day, folks, this isn't rocket science. We make one product. It's called pork. It has four letters, P-O-R-K. Our ingredient label in the store is also pretty simple and clean. It's one word. It has four letters. It's P-O-R-K. It's real pork. And so in an era when people are really interested in a health and wellness lifestyle and experiences and wondering what they're putting in their bodies, I would ask you to take a look at our product. It's been around for 10,000 years, and it's nutrient-dense, and it's a simple, straightforward, clean label. And you shouldn't feel guilty about consuming it because you know that our industry, A, has a set of ethical principles, unlike many others. B, 
actually has the data to show where we're at in in our continuous improvement to being you know carbon neutral or carbon negative. And at the end of the day, there are real farmers raising this. So this isn't coming out of a quote unquote factory. A lot of our opposition products are the ones that are actually being produced in a lab and coming out of the factory. And so sooner or later, as Abraham Lincoln said, right, you can fool all the people some of the time and some of the people all the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. And the real pork messaging here in our Freedom to Operate brand is to put the farmer out front, backed up by facts that are honest and accurate from the pork board, and really don't tell consumers they're stupid. You don't win friends and family that way. But you really talk about the positive things that our industry has to offer. Because at the end of the day, it's a free country, and we're going to be competitors today and be competitors tomorrow, and that's fine. But we're going to go into the marketplace, and we're going to win this with truth and honesty and real people that are selling real pork. I love it because I was talking to a marketing guy probably about a year and a half ago. Um who had a pretty good reputation. And, and we were talking about the difference between negative and positive marketing and, and the messaging that's tied to that. And positivity in your marketing message, as you've alluded to, and as everything the Pork Board is doing um, exemplifies as of late, is a timeless strategy. It's always relevant. It's always something you can be proud of. But if we focus our time and our efforts on, on negati- negativity, on fighting against what's happening, then it's not timeless. It's a one-off. It's 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 expensive, and it doesn't really get us where we want to go long term. So it's it's awesome to hear that the message we're using is one that's positive and one that really it's hard to argue with. Who doesn't want to eat healthy food? Who doesn't want to take care of the planet in the process? And who doesn't want their animals treated humanely? Uh, it's just something you can easily get behind. Matthew, what you've just what you've just described is the belief system, not the reactive system that Bill talked about earlier. We believe as opposed to, oh no, we don't. That's that's really powerful, what you've just mm-hmm. described. Yeah, I, I think it's you know, I know a lot about what you're against. Will you sit down and tell me what you're for? And I dare you to go out to any of your listeners and say, I really feel empowered listening to a bunch of negative advertising and muds. <laughs> Um, you know, that's that's the realm of politicians, certainly. But frankly, anybody that's long term successful that builds a builds a positive culture in their farm or their business or their family does not dwell in this space. And neither does the pork checkoff. Our job is to get out there and be honest, be up in the grill of people. But you're going to talk about your product in a positive light and you're not going to belittle your consumer in the process. And that's the long game. And that's how you that's how you really are going to win over the consumer, because you will find out that the people that are consuming your product are going to be some of your best supporters over the long haul. They just have legitimate questions how their food is raised. And that's fair. And that's actually good. I welcome that conversation. And the mudslinging, leave that for politics. You know, Matthew, I'm going to just build on something that Bill said, too. it's really a, an important connection. Um, what our membership wants, our membership in the industry, is the freedom to operate responsibly. And the freedom to operate responsibly doesn't come from just being aggressive and telling people that they're wrong, just like he said. 
but it's being up there with them and being firm and clear about what we do well, giving people a framework to talk about on the local level, on the state level, on the national level. This is how we're responding to what you see as really important. Let me tell you our story. And that, we've got two things that we can do in this industry, and they really they're the, the paradigm that we've been talking about. And that is, how do we have our trust and image brand? How do we tell our story? How do we increase the trust that we have by being more open and transparent? And what happens then is that people don't believe and just go for, oh, yeah, look, they're bad actors. They're saying, you know, that's not the story I'm hearing. We're here to help our industry win the movable middle. Mm-hmm. Let the, 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 the anti's got to do what they do. but we're not going to change their mind, but we want to be the movable middle. We want to touch the movable middle and make sure that they understand the real story. And what happens then? Things like Prop 12 don't happen because when they're, when the lunacy is proposed, then it doesn't really pass the muster of those folks that go, that's not the story I hear. So we got to have, to quote Dallas Hockman when he created We Care, our pig farmers do everything really well. They raise everything really well, except their voices. And we mm-hmm. care is there to help them do that. We do that really well. We'll grow demand. And we'll grow demand by doing the work that we've done with hy V as an example. The business to business. Let me show you. Let me show you how your finances really work. Surprisingly enough, they're down there just, you know, keeping stores clean, keeping product on the shelf, making sure that it's safe and fresh and all that sort of thing, we could be an ad additive to them saying, let me tell you from a pre-competitive perspective how to set this up that we've, we've noticed that can really change your demand. And it's surprising maybe, but as you know, sometimes when you're in the system, Matthew, you got to have that outside voice like a mentor you and I have had in our life that lives out in North Carolina. Sometimes you have to have that outside voice to go, have you thought about, and that's what we can help businesses with. Have you thought about and get them to think about things a little bit differently? That will help grow demand. But first, trust an image. Real pork. Real people. Absolutely. No, that is great. And yeah, that that uh that voice that tells you have you thought about it, it's it's uh it's great and that I think everybody needs one uh, or somebody to work with like that. I, I'd like to wrap things up because I think we've covered this really great for listeners with a few questions and uh <laughs> I'm going to name them off so you have time to think about them. So the first one I kind of just thought of while we were talking today is uh, for each of you, what is what is the perfect pork burger? Uh, the second one is what's something unique about you that most people you work, work with do not know? And the last is a golden nugget uh, for listeners, a life lesson. So I'm going to start with uh, with Bill on what is the perfect pork, pork burger? <laughs> the one that's sitting on my plate. <laughs> Uh, I think it, 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 that's the end of your your answer, Bill. Yes, sir. Okay. Since he stole that one, I think it's the one that's cooked appropriately. It's not the hockey puck. I think pork is a very forgiving product, but you can beat it up and you can make it bad. So it's the one that's out there that's um, kind of cooked to the medium rare, from my perspective, and uh, not overcooked. And probably doesn't have a lot of accoutrements on it either. It doesn't need to be seasoned. It's got its own flavor. 
That's where I was. I kind of like just a standard pork burger. Maybe I put something there, but I know people who like cheese and tomato and lettuce. And I'm like, oh, I guess I haven't really grew up with pork burgers where you had all the condiments. So I, I was curious what you guys were going to say. Uh, to follow that up, what's uh, what's something unique about Eugene that most people you work with do not know? You know, uh, Matthew, I've always wanted to be in cattle. And sometime in my career, I think I'll still be in cattle in some way. So that's my next career. This pig thing has kept me really interested. It's given me a whale of a lot of opportunities. And my role in pork is to give back to the to the industry that's given to me. But I really want to be in cattle. A lot of challenges there. I'm sure that'd be a fun opportunity. Yeah. How about you, Bill? Well, first, Gene, I've got some uh, broken mouth old cows that I'm happy to sell. <laughs> <laughs> that criteria, I know. <laughs> um, so unique about me, um, I'd say most people you know, maybe don't know that maybe grew, grew up on a farm and ran our farm operation for 20 years. Um, but I worked six years as an electrician in the winters um, back hmm. in the 80s during the farm crisis. Um, worked on the weekends for the local FSA office at that time called the ASCS office, uh, measuring grain bins. So anything you needed to do to get through the 80s to, uh, to keep the farm operating, and which we did and expanded it and grew it. That's awesome. So, Bill, I'll start with you on what's a life lesson, a golden nugget you'd have for listeners? One thing that pops into my mind is is this whole concept of integrity, right? And and you talked about it earlier, right? How do we treat people right? You know, how, how do we act in the public sphere? And I think an incredibly important thing for us in, in an era when everything's uh, short Twitter bursts and everybody's trying to do a hot take on somebody else or make fun of somebody with a meme. Um, we have got to, we've got to be better than this as a nation, right? Um, you look at the the Russian war in Ukraine that's going on right now. And you look at the, the president of the Ukraine and how, you know, this guy is a common man, right? He started out as a comedian and he is leading his nation during a time of war uh, with a level of of honesty and forthrightness and courage that I think is is incredibly, I would say, I don't know, empowering to the rest of us watching that. And we are very spoiled here in the United States in a first world country that tend to have anything we want, whatever we want, dropped off within you know twenty four hours from Amazon. And we've got to think about how we show up better as leaders in our communities and treat each other with dignity and respect, even when we, we would disagree with each other. And we've got to get that back. So that's an important life lesson. What about you, Gene? You know, never stop learning. I was just on with a young person that works for me today. We were talking about a, a problem of um, getting guilt into a farm and parity structure and how it was going to change. and. Um, I was saying, saying to him, you know, no, this is, this, you're not thinking about that, right? This is the way it is. And he challenged me and I go, whoa, you're right. Um, and what I said to him was, let me tell you a story about me. I say every day I learn something and when I'm going to be the best is the day before I die. And you need to think about yourself that way. Never stop learning. And holy cow, I can tell you something that I learned. 
I heard a lot through my career is accept feedback and making sure that you've got that feedback coming at you and you're open in a way that you can say, man, thanks for pointing that out. I wasn't right, was I? And it'll help you identify this. I saw a Harvard Business Review article one time way back early in my career, and it was some people that obviously work in an office. They had briefcases, and it looked like they were walking in one of these, um, you know, these uh, bunkers that you'd have in World War One, where Hmm. uh, people were, and they were marching along. And underneath it, it said, "How do you know if you're in a groove or a rut?" And it's based on feedback. Helping people help you understand where you are and never stop learning. That is great. Well, I thank both of you so much for joining us on the Popular Pig Podcast. This is this has been a lot of fun, and I think listeners will have really learned a lot and can appreciate the perspectives and all the hard work that's gone into the pivot and really paving a future for the pork industry that that is very. Um, innovative and and i really thank you guys for your time thank you matthew thanks matthew much appreciated thank you for joining us on this episode of popular pig we aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests if you enjoyed this episode please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry For more information, please go to popularpig.com to receive updates when new episodes are available. Popular Pig is brought to you by SwineTech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com.